Our scripture for today comes from Matthew 6, verses 1 and 16 through 21. The word of God speaks to us like this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This is the word of God to us. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, it really is good to be with you, and Phil, I'm thankful for kind, uh, kind words. It's been a blast to serve your pastors, and I'm equally excited about the chance to serve you with God's word this morning. Let's get two awkward things out of the way, right? Should we do that? Ecclesiastes chapter three says that there's a season for everything and an appointed time for every purpose under heaven. And the reason why I bring that up is on Father's Day, my hunch is lots of you are eager to leave this service and eat. Can I get an Amen. Really, you guys aren't eating after this service. No meats, no fried items, no fried meat items. You're gonna eat, right? For Father's Day, you're gonna celebrate that. At least Phil, at least Phil is gonna eat. Um, you, you should. You shouldn't let uh, a sermon on fasting augment your plans for lunch after this. And maybe some of you are going like, uh, why, why did they bring in a guest preacher to preach on fasting and a large one at that? This guy doesn't look like he's done a lot of fasting. This isn't God's word to us about physique. This is God's word to us about fasting. And he does have a word for us. And if I can be weird, I love fasting. And I'm zealous to preach a word about fasting to you because in my own life personally, God has met me, deepened me, strengthened me, changed me through the discipline of fasting. And I think that this moment in time, we have unique challenges in our cultural moment, if we're honest enough, that we are blunted, shallow, distracted, confused, superficial. And what we need is a supernatural movement of God to deepen us, strengthen us, bolster us, Take our passions that are misshapen and misdirected and reorient them. And that's what fasting does. So let me just put all my burdens on the table and then we'll pray and dive into this text, okay? I want you, the people of Frontline Church, I want you to grow in fasting. I want you to commit yourselves to fasting. I want the life, the spiritual vitality of Frontline to be characterized by and increased by the discipline of fasting. Not because I want you to forego food, but because I want you to love Jesus more than anything else in your life. 
I want you to love Jesus more than anything else in your life. And I want you to experience the bounty of what it means to walk with him, to commune with him, to know him. One of my favorite authors and a mentor from afar, Eugene Peterson, says, commenting on Jesus' words from John 14, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Peterson says, there's something interesting about us as Western Christians, that we try to separate the truth of Jesus from the ways of Jesus, and then wonder why we don't know the life of Jesus. Fasting offers us a way to orient our bodies together with our minds into the ways of Jesus, wed with the truth of Jesus, to experience the life of Jesus. That's what I want for you. And and, and that's what I want for um, the kind of community that fasting creates in you. So let's pray and then we'll get into God's word together. Father, would you help us to hear the words of Jesus? Would you comfort us and provoke us at the same time? And I ask that you would feed us with your word. We have tons of testimony from the Psalms and it bears witness to our own experience that there is a hunger inside of us that food cannot satisfy. So God, would you satisfy that hunger now? Would you feed us with yourself and would you make us more hungry still? Spirit of the living God, would you reveal the glory of Jesus and enable us by your grace to be obedient to his word. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let me just say this and then we'll look at Jesus' words in Matthew. We fast as Christians not to make ourselves hungry. We fast as Christians because we are hungry. And we acknowledge that food and media and activities of every kind blunt our hunger and deaden our hunger and distract us from the life-satisfying food that God himself is for us. We fast not to make ourselves hungry. We fast because we are hungry. And we want to get at the root of the deepest hunger of our soul that God created us with. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter six, if you got your Bible. Matthew chapter six, this is the center of the Sermon on the Mount, if you're not familiar with the teachings of Jesus or the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out for us what the good life is. It's that simple. You wanna know what the good life is? Jesus says, here it is. Culturally, we're obsessed with the language of flourishing in this moment in time. Jesus says, here's the pathway to flourishing. Here's what life in the kingdom of God looks like. Here's the blessed life. Here's the good life. Here's the pathway to flourishing. And when we get to chapter 6, when we get to the middle of his sermon, he's talking to us about spiritual practices. And if you look at verse 16, notice that he says, when you fast when you fast not should you fast not if you choose to fast not on the occasion that one might fast 
teaching about the good life, Jesus just says, okay, hey, so let's talk about when you fast. And if you notice back up earlier in chapter six, in this section, he's talking about when you give to the needy, verse two. Hey, when you take care of those on the margins, Jesus says, here's how you should do that. When you pray, verse five and following, Jesus says, here's how you do that. Not if you care for those on the margins economically. Not if you pray, but when you do that. When you care for those on the margins, here's how you do that. When you pray, here's how you do that. When you fast, here's how you do that. And I remember when I first read this, like as a Christian, I grew up in the church. Um, but when I first read this with new eyes, I remember thinking like, oh, well, I mean, that's, that's just what we do. I, I guess that's just what we do. We pray and we take care of those on the margins and we fast. So not even knowing what that was supposed to look like, I just believed, hey, if I'm gonna be obedient to Jesus' words, I'm gonna give my life to fasting. And I want us to get into the detail of his words in a second, but I want you to think for a minute about the context in which we talk about fasting compared to the context that I first talked about fasting with a church 20 years ago. First time I preached about fasting to a church 20 years ago, um, there was all kinds of pushback from people in the room because people were like, wait, wait a minute, I mean, if we don't eat three full healthy meals a day, I mean, the, the tissues of our body will be damaged. There, there were no podcasts talking about life hack and biohacking and how you can use all these pills and supplements and do intermittent fasting, nothing like that. People were like, wait, 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 wait a minute. You gotta have three solids on the day or you die. I think that's what I learned like in elementary school. I mean, if, if you wanna go way back in time, this was the time when the bottom of the food pyramid was carbohydrates. Can I, can I get a witness? I still live there, I'm vintage like that. True vintage with carbs on the bottom of the food pyramid. You're supposed to get six to 11 servings a day, I think if I remember. Bread, grain, cereal, potatoes. Uh, like that, that's the first environment that I talked about fasting to with Christians 20 something years ago. But now, I would suspect most of you in this room have experimented with intermittent fasting. Or you have a friend in your life that won't stop talking about their experiments with intermittent fasting. <laughs> or you've listened to a podcast about health and they've laid fasting down for you as an option. Or you've participated in some kind of media fast for yourself. But what I wanna know is like, what about Christian fasting is different than the kind of fasting that's proffered to us today? And secondly, I wanna know, what is it about us that just assumes as Christians that we're supposed to care for people on the margins, especially the economic margins? And I, I would guess that even those in this room this morning that aren't followers of Jesus would say, yeah, it's fundamental to the Christian life that you should pray. But why is it that we assume that we should care for those on the margins and assume that we should pray, but fasting of a Christian variety at least is sort of pushed to the edges for us? Well, that's, that's what I wanna talk about this morning. So here's what I wanna do in the time we have. In, in order to engage Jesus' of words of assuming that we're fasting, I want us to first talk about what is fasting. 
I want to get a Christian definition of fasting, not intermittent fasting or not some other fasting because religions all over the world fast and you don't have to be religious. You could fast for medical reasons. What is a Christian fast? So I want us to get a definition of what a Christian fast is. Then I want to ask the question or explore with you why we fast. And having that as a foundation, then we can engage how we might fast together under Jesus' assumptions that we're just doing it. And then if I have time left, I want to make some exhortations for you about what I would long to see God do among you as a fasting community. Is that fair? Does that make sense? All right, so let's start with a Christian definition of fasting. And this is my best effort yet. It's not like Jesus defines fasting for us. What's clear is Jews in this day fasted already. So Jesus is redefining and reorienting a practice that was familiar to these people. But I want us to think like fasting of a Christian variety isn't a hunger strike. It's not pure asceticism. It's not a healthy cleanse. It's not a way to drop a few extra pounds after you had your birthday and Thanksgiving and Christmas all coincide together and your pants don't fit the same in January as they did in November. That's not what Christian fasting is. So I've tried to give us a, a definition of Christian fasting. Let's see if we can go through it together. Christian fasting is to abstain to some degree for some time from the legitimate satisfaction of desires we regard as legitimate for the purpose of prayer, pursuit, focus, and fellowship with God. Now, I realize that's not the cleanest, most concise definition ever, but it's really important to acknowledge that Christian fasting is to abstain from something, right, to some degree for some amount of time. I'm going to abstain from meat. I'm going to abstain from food entirely. I'm going to abstain from Netflix. I'm going to abstain from this thing for this time. And the key is what you abstain from is the legitimate satisfaction of desires that we regard as legitimate. And I say that because for you to abstain from pornography is not fasting. To abstain from pornography is to deny yourself an illegitimate means of satisfying a legitimate desire. You should abstain from pornography. You should do that for the sake of your own soul, for the health of men and women relating together. You should do that for obedience to Jesus, but you shouldn't call that fasting. In the same way, like if you have a side eccentric passion of starting fires, if you're an arsonist and you just think it's fun and you can't stop doing it, and you decide when your community group says we're going to fast for a season, you're like, you know what? I'm going to fast from arson with my community group for the next week. Well, no, no, no. Arson is an illegitimate means of satisfying what I presume to be an illegitimate desire. I can't imagine a legitimate desire that one would satisfy with arson, but I think we can agree at least that setting fires is an illegitimate means of satisfying some kind of desire, whether legitimate or illegitimate. No, to, to fast as a Christian is to say, I'm going to step away from a legitimate means of satisfying a legitimate desire. And I'm going to do that for the purpose of prayer, pursuit, focus, and fellowship with God. I'm going to lay down something not only that's acceptable for me, 
but that's good for me, that God appointed for me. And I'm not going to do that to make myself hungry. I'm going to do that acknowledging that I am hungry. And there's something about these legitimate things that I use to blunt my hunger, to satisfy it or numb it out or shrink it down. And so I abstain from legitimate satisfaction to say, God, would you open my eyes to things I don't see? God, would you increase my burdens for things I'm not burdened for? Jesus, I wanna love you more than anything else in the universe. Would you take this hunger in my body and help me realize that my soul possesses an even deeper hunger for you? That's what fasting is. So let me just give you a couple of reasons why you might fast as a Christian, because there's a lot of them. Turn to Acts chapter 13, and I'm not going to give you, uh, I'm not going to make you turn to a scripture for each one of these, but Acts chapter 13 is one of my favorite places in the Bible. Acts chapter 13, we see in the church at Antioch, there were prophets, there were prophets and teachers ministering together, which was significant enough that Luke thought he should tell us about that and make note of it. And this isn't just a prophetic and teaching community. They're living together. Look at verse 2 worshiping the Lord and fasting. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, Luke tells us, the Holy Spirit says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. They they were worshiping the Lord and fasting together, seeking direction. A, A perfectly good and legitimate reason to fast is to say, hey God, we don't know where to go. There's, there's lots of rights and lots of lefts, but it's not clear to us what's right and wrong. Would you help us take steps forward? You could do that as an individual. You could do that as a family. You could do that in your community group. I would hope if there haven't been to date at front, at frontline seasons where you go, hey God, we're not sure where to go here. Would you lead us? That's the kind of season where you say, we're gonna abstain from the legitimate satisfaction of legitimate desires and ask in that place that God would intensify the more elemental hunger about us and speak to us in ways that he, we, we don't hear when we're busy with everything else. Now here's what I love. Another reason why you can fast is to commit to what God has led you to do. Look in verse three and four of Acts chapter 13. So after the Spirit of God says, hey, I've got new mission for you, Antioch, set aside these two men, they go back in verse three to fasting. I love it. They don't go, oh, hey, we got our answer. Let's move on. Let's go eat, finally. You know, we're, we're hungry. They're like, oh, hey, God, Thank you for speaking. Thank you for guiding. Thank you for leading. Now we're going to go back to fasting and ask that you would energize us and enable us to commit to do what you've called us to do. What would it look like if God provided clear leadership and clear direction for you and your response to the Lord in obedience was, I will now embark on a fast, God, because I realize what you've called me to requires supernatural energy and efforts that I don't have the strength for. God, would you enable me to do what you've called me to do? So you can fast to seek God's guidance. You can fast to commit to God's guidance. You can fast, thirdly, to express repentance and return to God. Hey, there are seasons in our lives, friends, where the Spirit of God makes us aware of sin in our lives in such a way that the right response is to fast. 
And I don't mean that you were harsh with your roommate this morning and now it's like, oh, I got to fast. This is not about like flagellating yourself or paying penance to earn God's favor or earn someone else's favor. Don't, don't fast for small episodic sins. But if you come to a place in your life where you realize like, oh, wait a minute. For a lengthy season in my life, I've ignored the voice of God. I've hardened my heart to things that God loves. I have at first deliberately disobeyed God and then ignored my conscience until the place where I have delightfully disobeyed God. God, would you, would you mark this season in my life and facilitate a return to your heart with a season of fasting? Which you see gloriously, by the way, in um, 1 Samuel 7 and Joel chapter 2. Number three, you can fast to seek deliverance from enemies and protection in situations. We see this in Ezra 8 and we see this in Esther 4. Fifthly, you can fast as a means of humbling yourself before God. Now this is important because fasting is not a humble act. If you look at the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, he fasts twice a week. But his fasting is not evidence of humility, it's a, de- it's a demonstration of his pride. So fasting by itself is not a humble activity. But fasting can be a means by which you ask God to bring you low and exalt his glory in such a way where it softens you and tenderizes you and resizes life for you such that you see God for who he is and you for who you are. You can fast and say, hey God, would you resize the world for me? Would you, would you help me see that this is about you, not about me? Would you help me to rightly regard the graces you've put in my life and walk in them? God, would you let this season of focused abstaining or foregoing food or whatever else be a means by which you plow new rows in my heart to be responsive to you? That's number five. And then number six, you can fast as a simple expression of love and devotion to God. I love Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter two. You see Anna and we get this whisper of a glimpse of this woman who's been a widow for like 60 or 70 years and has lived the entirety of her life as a widow in the temple, worshiping God and Luke says, and fasting. She was praying for God to advance his kingdom. She was drawing near to the heart of God through worship and fasting. And that's what fasting can be for you. It's a simple means of devotion. Which, I mean, honestly, I think if we came up with six or 16 or 600 reasons why you fast, all of them essentially boil down to the place of you're fasting to to ask God to intensify what's present, to create what's not present, to give you eyes to see. You're fasting to pray. You're fasting to say, hey, God, will you move in this direction? 
Hey, God, would you work in me? God, would you work there? God, would you save my mom? God, would you satisfy this conflict that seems impossible to make right? God, would you move in her life? God, would you give us grace in this place? God, would you make me more generous? Would you make me more patient? Would you make me more tender? Spirit of God, I wanna bear the fruit of your life in my life. Would you help me understand how hungry I really am? There's a quote from Francis Chan that I love. He says this, and this is in, if I remember correctly, this is in the introduction to Piper's book, Hunger for God on fasting, which is tremendous, but Chan says this, we fast because we long for God's glory to resound in the church and God's praise to resound among the nations. We fast because we yearn for God's son to return and God's kingdom to come. Ultimately, we fast simply because we want God more than we want anything else that this world has to offer us. We fast to let our body feel in the natural what our soul is by God's loving design. We fast to let our body feel in the natural, what our soul is by God's loving design. That's what fasting is. That's, that's why you do it. Now let's talk about when we fast. Go back to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, verse 16, when you fast, don't draw attention to yourself in such a way that people go, what's the deal with you? I mean, he's literally saying, hey, don't fast like the Pharisees who disfigure their faces and dirty their clothes so that when they sit down at lunch with you and, and don't have a plate in front of them, you go, man, what's wrong with you? Well, I didn't want to get into it, but I haven't eaten in 48 hours. I'm fasting for devotion to God. Jesus says, don't do that. He says, don't do that. In fact, he says, when you fast, check this out, verse 17, not only do you not do things that make yourself look frumpy or dirty or disheveled or starving, when you fast, he says in verse 17, practice normal hygiene. That's what verse 17 is about. Wash your face, anoint your head. That's, that's basic practice in the ancient world. And what he means is, when you fast, don't dress or act in such a way to show how bad you're feeling, nor should you like put on a tuxedo. You sit down and go, someone's like, uh, why are you so dressed up? Well, since you asked, I'm on day seven of a fast, and I just thought I should present my best to the Lord and wear my finest garments while fasting. Jesus says, don't do that. Live your life like you do day to day. Now, brothers, there's some of you in this room that need to wash your face and anoint your head on the daily, not just when you're fasting, right? Right? Hey, ladies, you can, you can affirm that in them. Hey, there's guys, you, you like, that's a hygiene sermon for another day. But Jesus is saying, when you fast, don't try to make yourself look noticeable. That's the point. Live normally because if you come to a place looking so worn out that everyone's like, my gosh, 
What's wrong with her? Oh, she's fasting. She's like seven days into a fast, very intense. And everyone goes, wow, she's amazing. And Jesus says, that's your reward. If you fast to be seen by people, you get what you're after in the second. But Jesus says, fast so that my father who sees everything in secret sees you and he himself will be your reward. And let me say this as clearly as I can, brothers and sisters. Don't fast in an effort to get God's attention. You have it already. Like, don't fast to get God's attention. You have it already. He's crazy about you. He, he has the force of holy, infinite, eternal love that drives after you. He sent his son into our world to suffer and die so that you could have him face to face, free from sin, free from condemnation, ultimate intimacy forever. You don't have to fast to get God's attention. You have it already. The reason why we fast is to get our hearts oriented around the attention of God that we already have. If you fast to try to get God's attention, friends, that's paganism. It's like cutting yourself with stones, foregoing food, fasting from whatever you fast. Like, hey, does God see me now? Does God see me now? The point is he sees you already. You're not fasting to get a medal. Jesus Christ and his righteousness is your eternal reward. You can't do anything to earn him. You can't do anything to lose him. You get him forever by sheer grace of this scandalous, loving God. You don't fast to get him. You fast because you have him. You want more. You want more. Jesus says, hey, fast in such a way that you, you get the reward that's my father." You get the reward, it's my father. So how do you do it? I wanna close with just some super practical stuff to encourage you guys of how to fast. Because I, I set out, man, this was a couple of years ago, I guess, with a group of friends that had walked with Jesus for a long time. And we stacked hands and we said, we're gonna fast together, we're gonna do this. And one of my friends is like, hey, uh, so how, how do we do that? And I remember being super grumpy and impatient with them. I grieve that now in retrospect. I was like, dude, fast or don't fast. It's not complicated. But then I realized if you've never done something before, it is complicated. How do I start? What do I do? So let me just give you some basic ground rules or practices that can facilitate your own fasting. And if you've never fasted before, it'll be helpful. If you have fasted before, may God bless you and would you stand up and realize that not many around you do fast and you can walk with them in the ways of Jesus and help them experience the truth of Jesus, wed to the ways of Jesus so that the life of Jesus takes on a new character in the heart of Frontline Church, okay? But here's, here's just a couple of practicals I have for you to fast. If you're gonna fast, start small and be willing to stink at it. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing badly, right? If something's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. So start small, start 24 hours. If you're like, my gosh, I don't know if I could go without food for 24 hours. You've had to do that for the doctor before, you can do that now. And the easiest way to do it is if you go dinner to dinner, you only miss two meals, fasting hacks with Kevin Cawley. <laughs> but you can say, hey God, from 6 p.m. today till 6 p.m. tomorrow, I'm gonna, I'm gonna abstain from food 
Or maybe you're gonna abstain, abstain completely from food. Maybe you're just gonna eat fruit. Maybe you're just gonna eat vegetables. Maybe you're gonna drink juice. Whatever, whatever you decide to do, settle that with the Lord and walk in it. If you can just do it 24 hours, do it 24 hours. If 24 hours is too much for you, fast for a lunch. Hey guys, I don't think you realize what God could do in your life, in this church, in this city, if just a handful of you would dedicate one, two, three lunches a week to opening the scriptures, foregoing food, getting on your face and saying, God, would you help me want you more? Would you do more in my life than I see you doing? Would you give me eyes to see more than I currently see you doing? Would you let me miss this lunch and would you give me more? I mean, start small and be willing to stink at it. If you stack hands with your accountability partner or someone in your, <coughs> in your community group and you're like, hey, we're gonna do this for 24 hours and 16 hours in, they've served like the third cake or donut or treat at the office. You're like, good God, how many birthdays are we gonna have? And you cave on the third one. It's okay. Just start back in the fast. Text your friends and say, hey, my willpower caved after the third round of brownies at the office. I, I ate a brownie. I'm back with you. I'm sorry. I broke my word. This isn't about my eternal destiny before the throne of Jesus. I, I, I failed you. I'm back with you. Let's pray. Let's go hard after Jesus together. Start small and be willing to stink at it. And if 24 hours is too small, go to 48. Go to 72. Pick five days of a week and say, hey, maybe I've, I've fasted for three lunches in the past month or whatever. I'm going to take three days and I'm, I'm just going to drink fruit juice for each meal. Drink eight ounces of fruit juice or whatever. Again, fix it before the Lord and walk in it. Go five days. Go seven days. Start small and, and just like walk in it. I know community groups of people that have committed to 40-day fasts a year together. And they do that not by fasting 40 days all at once. They do that by fasting the first three days of every month together and six days together every January. And in doing that, that gives them 40 days that they fast together. And it's been life-giving in their groups and life-giving in their worlds. Start small and be willing to stink at it. When you screw up, just turn and fast again. There's, there's a preacher that I know, a, a pastor that I know, that called his church in a pretty significant moment of their church life to a 40-day fast. There were crossroads aplenty facing him. And he's like, hey, this is the moment. We've got a lot on the line. We're gonna fast together for 40 days. And he said, I'm gonna lead the train. I'm gonna forego food. I'm just gonna do water for 40 days. And he said, fast however God leads you. But you know, he's beating his fist on the pulpit saying, hey, we're gonna ask God to rain down from the heavens to lead us, to give us more of himself. I'm going just water for 40 days. And day eight, he starts waffling. Because if anyone's told you that's fasted for a length of time or you have, man, day one and two is okay. It's just about being hangry. Day three to five, you gotta deal with headaches. And sometimes day seven to nine can be dark days. Then you hit like day 10, 11, 12, you feel like 10 million bucks. You're like, I never want to eat again. I'm going to live this way forever. And then the brain fog sets in. And you're like, what was that word again? Because you just can't think because your brain lives on fat. But he's eight days into a fast. And he decides that he can best lead the church. God, in order for me to lead the church best, I need to break my fast now, day eight, like 1130 at night. 
He goes to the fridge to break his fast and his wife has cleared out their fridge because she's fasting with him and nothing to eat in the fridge. But he has now convinced himself to believe that the best way I lead our church forward is to fill my belly and get some energy. So he finds like a half molded yogurt in the fridge and eats some Lay's potato chips, the crumbs at the bottom of the bag. And as he's eating this, how funny is our God? His phone rings. It's a woman from the church. She said, God woke me up. To call you. She said, I wanted to fast with you, but I had a dream. And in my dream, you were eating potato chips and yogurt. And I was grieved to my core. And I called to tell you to repent. And he did. And he started over. He's like, hey, day eight, I'm starting back at day one. Let's keep going because we're not in this to win medals. We're in this to get God. And even in his weakness, he can find God there. If you start a fast and you fail, start over. And then, hey, be willing to fast for the wrong reasons. And I don't mean, you're like, well, my community group's fasting, but I've put on about 10 pounds and I want to shed those. That, that's not a Christian fast. It's okay. It's fine to do that. But I mean, like, be willing to say, hey, I, God, I'm asking you to do this in this fast, and I'm not even sure that this is how you work. I had a friend tell me not long ago, they're like, hey, I want to fast to pray for my daughter. But if I'm honest, I think I'm trying to just like manipulate God or something. And I don't want to be disappointed by how that works in a fast. So what should I do? And I said, fast and give that to God. And ask God to meet you there. And as your hunger intensifies, ask God to erode whatever pillars of support hold up that idea that you wonder if it's wrong. I fasted for the wrong reasons four months ago. And here's how I know I did. I went on an extended fast and I asked God, God, will you do these four things in this fast? Will you accomplish these four things? And I know I fasted for the wrong reasons because he accomplished none of them. Not a one of them. But you know what he did over the course of my fast? He lovingly invited me to see, hey, Kevin, you love this thing more than I love this thing. And you think that you want me to do this because you love this, but what you really love is comfort more than you love holiness. What you really love is ease more than you love faithfulness. What if you were willing to love me more than all that and having laid out four really clear objectives for my fast, God answered not a single one of them and gave me himself more intensely than I've ever experienced him in my life. See, that's... That's what fasting's about. Are you willing to lay down things that you didn't even know you loved more than God and get God in return? That, that's how you fast when you fast. And to come back to the when you fast of Jesus, if I could just exhort you guys, of like, hey, when you fast, when you fast, ask God to do Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 things in you. Ask God to give you the internal strength required to accomplish the mission he's given you. Ask God to help you love him more than knowledge can add up to. Ask God to give you more of himself. Ask God to make the doxology from Romans 11, 33 to 36 come alive in you. When Paul says, oh, the depth the riches and the knowledge of Christ Jesus. What if when you fasted, you ask him to give you that kind of awareness in the world?
And what if when you fast, you ask him to help you realize the simple truth that we so often forget. He is everything you need. You don't fast to make yourself hungry, friends. You fast because you are hungry and you're so distracted with so many other proverbial foods, you don't even know it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to want you more. I want to know you more. I want to taste and see your goodness in ways that I haven't before. And I want that for these brothers and these sisters. I want frontline to grow in zeal for the most high God. And I want to see that zeal give birth to a new fervor for evangelism and mission and holiness and intercession in the city. I I want that for them. I want all of us to want more. And God, I just ask that you would help us see that deeper desires are often distracted by shallow pleasures. Would you work in us in such a way that we could forego shallower pleasures and encounter the deeper world that you appointed for us in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name I pray all these things. Amen.